All right, let's get to work. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is our text this morning. Uh, We've been asking that question these last few weeks. Are you all in? As we've been looking at just kind of an overview of some passages in the Bible that describe for us what a life that's fully committed to Jesus looks like. And this morning we continue uh, in that series, but before we do, before we get into the text, hey, just a word of encouragement to you. Thanks so much for the generosity and faithfulness that you are showing uh, with the Raise the Roof uh, kind of campaign. You know, everything is thawing and we need to make sure that this thing gets repaired very soon. You'll notice here we're well over halfway. We've got a couple of weeks left and so uh, fully anticipate that we'll reach that goal, but we need you to continue to be faithful and generous. Generous to that. And so uh, just thank you for the way that you've uh, given already to that. This morning, we're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And so if you're able to stand, I'll ask you to do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pray with me. Lord, help us now to understand these words and not just understand them, but apply them. Lord, I pray that you would come by your spirit and by your truth and convict us and conform us to the image of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Comedian uh, Barry Martyr wrote a series of books. Uh, The first one was called Letters from a Nut. The second one was called More Letters from a Nut. And creatively, the third one was called Even More Letters from a Nut. And what they were is uh, Barry would write under a fake name called Ted Nancy. And he would write prank letters. How many of you like to do pranks? Some of you, pranksters. He would write prank letters to various corporations, sometimes individuals, to see if he could kind of, you know, stir them up, see how they would respond. And uh, they're very humorous. One of my favorite ones is one that uh, Ted Nancy wrote to the Coca-Cola company about a new product of his called Kyat Doke. All right? So, Ted Nancy writes to Coca-Cola, I have a beverage called Kyat Doke. Will it interfere with your beverage, Diet Coke? The taste is not similar because mine tastes like Pepsi. (laughs) (laughs) I sell my Kyat Doke to mostly construction workers who love it. In fact, one guy said, this sure doesn't taste like Coca-Cola. 
Let me know so I can continue to sell my soda. Thanks. By the way, do you use caramel in your soda? Just kidding. Thanks. Sincerely, Ted L. Nancy. Well, needless to say, the Coca-Cola company did not particularly like the name that he was suggesting, so they wrote him back, and they said, Dear Mr. Nancy, as the owner of a federal registration for the famous trademark Diet Coke, we cannot consent to your use of Kyat Doke in association with a beverage. We believe Kyat Doke is confusingly similar to our trademark Diet Coke, and are concerned that consumers will believe the Coca-Cola company endorses your product. As a result, we must insist that you immediately take action to discontinue the use of Kyat Doke. If you are unwilling to immediately cease and desist using Kyat Doke, please sign the spaces provided and return this letter. If we've not received this signed agreement within 15 days, we will assume you do not agree to these terms thus for threatening legal action. So Mr. Nancy replies, I have decided that I will not sell my Kyat Doke beverage anymore. The product is discontinued. I have taken all 11 cans of Kyat Doke <laughs> and brought them home. In fact, they're in my room now. I now realize this was a poorly thought idea. I mean, if you went into a convenience store and saw in the cooler Dr. Pepper Orange Crush, and Kyat Doke? Would you choose Kyat Doke? I don't think so. Who was I to think that someone would choose Kyat Doke? So, let this letter stand as my admission that I have ceased and desisted. There will be no more Kyat Doke on the market, but you can look for my new beverage, Piat Depsy. <laughs> <laughs> With the familiar slogan, it tastes nothing like Coke. It'll be in cooler soon. Piat Depsy is a thirst-quenching drink, which I believe does not taste like your drink. Enjoy it. Also, what about the caramel in your soda? Are you using a lot of it? Thanks. Sincerely, Ted, Nancy. Well, I thought that was hilarious, and, and at least some of you do. And it raises the question that we need to ask ourselves, namely, how do you respond when somebody comes into your territory? How do you respond when your interest and the interest of other people collide? Because that is exactly in a real way, not in a fake or humorous way like with that example, but in a very real way, Paul is addressing to the Philippian church. They're having a disagreement. I know that rarely happens in church, but it was happening in this one. In fact, we know in chapter 4 that there are two ladies in the church who are at odds. Now, Jerry Springer has not been called in to mediate this conflict. It's not that bad. But it is causing problems within the church to the point that they're not imaging Jesus the way they should. Now, this is a great church. In fact, if you were here last week, this is the church that Paul used to the Corinthians as a model of generosity. But while they were all in financially, they weren't all in relationally. And so Paul writes and he addresses the issue of being a servant. The essence of servanthood, Paul says, is here in verse 5. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, Philippians, Berean, you got to think differently. You have to have a different mind. And why is that? Because the way you think affects the way you act. If you're going to behave differently, you have to think differently. And Paul here says there's a way you should not think in a way that you should think. Have this mind that's yours in Christ Jesus. How does that mind think? Well, it doesn't, verse 3, come from selfish ambition or conceit. That's the negative. It also doesn't, verse 4, look only to his own interests. So, Paul says this, have this mind, this way of thinking, this attitude, that is yours in Christ Jesus which doesn't think this way, namely, selfishly or ultimately about your own interests. In other words, it's all about me. It's about my wants, my needs, my interests, my problems. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not the mind of a servant. It, it reminded me of, of comedian Brian Regan. If you've ever heard of him, you're seeing a theme of comedians because I love to laugh. But Brian Regan has this bit about going to a dinner party, and at the dinner party, he encounters something that's gloriously called a me monster. Take a look. I'm actually kind of quiet off stage. A lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself, and then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. <laughs> oh, well, didn't mean to waste everybody's time. <laughs> Telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. My story ain't nothing. Maybe it wasn't, because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled, and I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story, because you ain't going nowhere. The four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt! Halt with your two wisdom tooth tail! You will never complete one, trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um... I had two, but I had four pulled. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, five, no, nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were wrapped around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn in the cob that afternoon. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. That knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it and I see it all the time. Obviously people get something out of it. 
At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition? People get something out of that. Isn't that true? What is it about the human condition that gets something out of that? He says, why do people need to top other people? I see it all the time. I have two kids. Well, I have four. I've been going to this church for a year. Well, I've been going 15. What is it within us that always wants to put ourselves before others? Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and do you know what he's saying? He's saying, beware the me monster. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do not just look out for your own interests. Listen. you got to have a different mind, a different way of thinking that will then inform your behavior and it means don't think selfishly that's the negative and then Paul in verses 3 and 4 gives us the positive so the do nothing from selfish ambition that's the negative but look at the positive but in humility count others more significant than yourselves that's the positive look at verse 4 let each of you look not to his own interest that's the negative but also to the interest of others. So, so what Paul is saying here is there's a way not to think, namely selfishly, and there's a way to think that is humbly. Considering the needs of other people. Like your spouse is late, five, ten minutes, and to you it's because they didn't plan well, they're not organized, but if you're late, well, but I have my reasons. Or, or when you see that... like idiot at the checkout line who has five more items than the little sign says you're supposed to and you roll your eyes and think how inconsiderate and yet if you do that it's because you're in a hurry you see John Maxwell says that we judge others by their actions but we judge ourselves by our intentions when do you stop and consider the needs of other people? Paul says, this issue that's going on in your church, Philippians, needs to be countered with a mind that thinks differently. Meaning, it's not driven by selfishness, it's driven by considering others' needs. It's like when my kids, occasionally, rarely, will fight over something like a toy or whatever, we'll stop. My son's on the front row. He'll attest to this. We'll stop and we'll say, now who wants to be the servant? And they, without hesitation, will say, she does. <laughs> I mean, it's not even a, a moment that I actually stop and consider what their needs are. And listen, Brian, I'm not so sure we grow out of that. Consider the needs of others. Have this mind that's in Christ. And let me remind you in the early church in the book of Acts, a great picture of this, of, of what we see here that Paul's talking about. We see it in Acts chapter 2, and this is just amazing. Acts 2, 44. Uh, notice this text. It says, they were selling their possessions 
and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These people loved one another, wanted to serve one another. I don't know where I found it, but some time ago I found a, um, a retelling of Acts 2 from the other side of things. Listen to what it says. And all the believers were cut off from one another and kept to themselves. Hoarding their possessions, they completely neglected to share with those who had needs. Every day they passed one another and failed to engage one another in a meaningful way. Instead, they went to their homes and ate alone. And not surprisingly, no one was added to their number. Right here, Berean, a church, a Christian, an individual who is for self cannot be for the Savior. You cannot be all in for you and all in for Jesus at the same time. Now that hurts. Anybody hurt? Like that's ouch. Kind of, we kind of go from laughing about the me monsters away. Well, that's a little personal. I liked it when I was laughing about the other guy. But this has to do with me. Have this mind that's yours in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind? A mind that's not driven by selfish ambition, but in humility serves and seeks the needs of others. Well, why would I do something like that? Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I want to be all in. Like, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Him. So then Paul says, well, then let me tell you about Jesus. Look at verse Six. So what is this mind that's yours in Christ Jesus like? Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by being in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a mouthful. Like, your mind should like explode when you read that if you think about what Paul's saying. And here's what he's saying. Okay, think about Jesus. Jesus was in the form of God. Now what does that mean? Form has two words. Morphe, schema, you don't need to remember that. But morphe is the essence of something. Schema is the outward expression of that. So, for example, again, my son here, when, when he was born, he was male. Seven years into this thing, he's still male. Fifty years from now, he'll still be male. The essence of who he is, his maleness, doesn't change. But man, he's changing all the time like we're feeding him miracle Grow or something. I mean, he's like, you go from a baby to a toddler to, to a, you know, a, a little boy and, and before long a man. I mean, it's just the outward form constantly changes. Now you say, why did you say all that? What Paul means, this is huge, when he says that he was in the form of God, he uses the word morphe, meaning Jesus had the very essence of, of the Father, here's the short and sweet, Jesus is God. 
It's a very strong statement Paul is making about the divinity and the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the form, the very essence of God. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Paul says he takes on the form of a human being. Now, Listen, I thought the culture shock growing up in Tennessee to now living in Minnesota was quite the culture shock, but imagine being fully divine and coming, becoming fully human. Stand amazed this morning at the incarnation. God became Man. So Jesus went from the essence of God to now He is fully God and He's fully man. And if that wasn't like crazy, blow your mind enough, Paul says He goes even further than that and He becomes a servant. The word is actually slave. And He did things that the lowest of lowest of lowest people would do, like wash feet. That's just nasty. Amen? Anybody just think that's not... I mean, it's one thing to be nasty in our day, but back in these days, listen, that was like the grossest thing to get down and actually wash somebody's crusty, dirty, stanky feet. God washing feet? Who'd have thought? And He didn't just do that like He hung out with people that had diseases that everybody else would say, unclean, unclean, get away, get away. And Jesus is hanging out with them. And He's hanging out with people who socially would make His reputation go to... God is doing this. He went from in the form of God to being in the form of God and in the form of man. That is, He is God and He is man. But He is not only God and man, He is slave. And that ought to be enough to blow our minds, but Paul takes us one final step further, and that is he not only becomes a slave, he dies on a cross, that which was held for the most disgusting, despicable of all criminals, though he had not committed a crime. In those days, if you died on a cross, that was the, the ultimate form of disgust, and humiliation. Bree and get this, he goes from God to God-man to God-man washing feet to God-man dying on a cross. For who? Others. Others. And Paul says, you need to have that mind. That mind that is yours in Christ Jesus that does not seek yourself but seeks the needs of others. Why? Because you're a follower of Jesus and if you're going to be all in for Jesus, you're going to be all in for serving other people. And you say, but they don't deserve it. Like, you don't understand. You don't know my spouse. You don't know that person that hurt me. You don't know that person that, that I, I just cannot forgive them. Pastor, you don't understand. They don't deserve it. Whoa. You better be very careful what criteria you use. Because if deserving is the criteria for serving, you and I are in hell right now. 
We did not deserve God on a cross. What we deserved was to be on the cross for our sins. But God loved you so much He sent His only begotten Son to face the humiliating death of death on a cross for you. Paul says when you get that, when you understand the Gospel, when you understand what Jesus has done, and you're like, I want to be like Him, I want to be like Jesus, it means you're going to have to serve. Like Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. And not just the people who are easy to serve, those who don't deserve it. Well, Jesus isn't the only example that Paul gives. Let me just show you a couple uh, more just very quickly. Look at verse 17. Paul even uses his own life as a servant. Verse 17 says, Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. In other words, Paul says, You know me. I help establish this church. I've poured my life out for you. Timothy Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Verse 20 says, I have no one like him. Why is there no one like him, Paul? Because he's genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. You, you, know, you know Timothy. Timothy's ultimately concerned about you. He's not consumed in himself. And if Jesus wasn't enough, which he is, and my life, Paul is saying, is not enough, which it is, Timothy's not enough, he gives a fourth one, Epaphroditus. Little footnote, name your first child Epaphroditus. It would be a great name. Anyways, look at Epaphroditus. This is amazing. Like, do church people actually act this way? 25 says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And your messenger and minister in my need. Now here it is, verse 26. For he has been longing for you and has been distressed. Why has Epaphroditus been distressed? Because you heard that he was ill. I've met very few Epaphrodituses in the church. You know, you know the type of Christians we'll often contact? I'm sick. When are you going to meet my needs? Epaphroditus says, I'm sick, and do you know what I'm really concerned about? I'm concerned that in your hearing that I'm sick, you might be concerned. In my sickness, I'm concerned about you. Now, Brian, here's the point right here. Can you imagine a church where the pastor, and all of this because of Jesus, the pastor pours his heart out for his people. Timothy, other leadership, comes around and says, we are all in for the sake of others. And, and members like Epaphroditus would say, man, I'm all in at church, not for what I get, but for what others get. That might be the kind of church people would want to join that's why this morning the walk away from this message is twofold. Number one, generally, I want you to be a servant. 
You know, listen, we're not perfect in this area. Nobody's perfect in this area. I mean, even the Philippian church, they're so strong in one area, but they're weak in another, and that's why Paul's addressing that. I want you to generally go be servants as you go throughout your week. But, and this is not out of context, Paul is writing a letter to a specific local church and how they are to operate with one another. Now, don't lose me here. Stay, stay with me. Paul realizes that there are needs within the Philippian church not being addressed because these ladies and others are seeking their own interest. Which means one of the from the context applications would be when you come to Berean, those who have been coming for some time, if you're brand new, don't worry about this. But if you've been coming and you're not serving you have to ask yourself, am I truly all in? And that's why in the bulletin we have put a, a little insert of just areas that you could serve in here at Berean. Places that you could give up your interest, give up your time, give up your resources to help address needs that need to be addressed in the church, because Paul is saying, when you gather in Philippi, don't just be thinking about what do I get, what do I get? Think about how can I serve the needs within the body. And, and in some ways, I guess as you know, the new am I still the new lead pastor? I guess so. I'm so excited about what I hear. I'm so excited about the, the buzz that I, I'm reading on emails and hearing in the hallways. And part of this is to challenge all of us to say right here, right now, in this body, let us be all in to serve. That's a sweet, beautiful picture of Jesus and the Gospel in our very midst. Well, I'll close with this by saying when we do this, that is, we serve others, when we come not for what we get, but for how we can be a blessing to others, this is what ultimately pleases God. Notice what Paul says that God the Father does for God the Son. Verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Very short and sweet. If you want to get up, you've got to get down. If you want to go high, you got to get low. It's the exact opposite of the world. The world says if you want recognition, if you want uh, to please people, man, you've, got to, you've got to be somebody. Make much of self. Paul says if you want to be somebody that pleases God like Jesus, who was exalted above every name, you've got to be a servant. And if in case you would say, well, that's true of Jesus, but that's not true of me. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 23, 12, Matthew 23, 12, this, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Greatness in the kingdom is lowliness here and now. Her name was Lorraine Ellard. She was 33 years old. 
when she found out that she had liver cancer. The doctors told her she needed treatment immediately. If she didn't, she might not have long. But there was one big, big problem. She was four months pregnant. The doctors encouraged her because she needed treatment right away to terminate the pregnancy. She said no. In fact, she told her husband, I may die, but my baby is going to live. And in fact, Lorraine gave birth to, 15, to, uh, to Liam 15 weeks premature. Here's a picture of him. That happened eight weeks before she died. At her funeral, her husband spoke and unknowingly said some very familiar words. My wife put the interest of Liam before her own. You may call that motherhood. The Bible calls that servanthood. It was for Paul, it was for Timothy, it was for Epaphroditus, it was more importantly than any of them, it was for Jesus. For when he was facing the wrath that you and I deserved, what does he say? Not my will, but yours. And when he's facing the mockery of sinners, how does he respond? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's because when Jesus was faced with the interest of sinners versus the interest of a Savior, He looked at the cross and said, I'm all in. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You would, by Your Spirit, give specific application to our lives right now. Relationships that need to be served. Context where we need to think differently. And Lord, my prayer is in light of Jesus, in light of what He's done for us, that You would take that truth this morning and conform us even more into servants. Help us see, as difficult as it may be, that to be all in for Jesus is to be all in for serving others. And help us this morning, give us the strength to do that in our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.